Hello and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is leading a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Madeline, and this week, Inika, Jack, Kanisha, and I sat down with leaders of the National History Academy. President and co-founder William Ben Sellers noted that many times, he says, We see STEM programs, business programs, and law programs over the summer, but not history programs. That's what inspired Bill to start the National History Academy, to give a voice to history and create academic opportunities for students to discuss our country's history. Guest Katie Smaller, a former teacher who is currently the Director of Educational Programs for the National History Academy, underscored the need for entities like this one, to help students expand their historical and civic knowledge, since many textbooks have been outdated since she was in high school. Guest Ben Kellers and Dominique Castaneda, two past National History Academy students, shared how their love of history was nurtured by the National History Academy, and how they discovered the community they'd been looking for, and are now pursuing in college coursework in history. From case studies to field trips to debates, we openly discussed the challenges facing America. Throughout the episode, we discussed how we must rethink the way that we teach history and civics and encourage thought, discussion, critical analysis, and interaction with others. History isn't just learning names and dates. It's also about putting yourself in historical situations and taking the diverse knowledge you learn from all kinds of different people back to your communities. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, my name is Inika Kodestane and I'm a high school senior from New Jersey. And in addition to being on the podcast team, I'm also the co-editor-in-chief of the Next Generation Politics blog. And today I'm excited to talk about what history means, especially to youth. I'm currently taking AP Government and Politics, and we just started a couple weeks ago, but taking that course and really looking into the foundation of like American democracy, looking at all all these documents, analyzing them has allowed me to see history in a new light. And I know that's something that the National History Academy does. So I'm interested to hear how you guys do that. Hey, everybody. My name is Jack. I'm a high school junior in Manhattan, New York. I'm on the podcast team, and last spring I also participated in a Freedom of Expression Civic Action Project. So we designed a survey, polled students about their feelings of freedom of expression in New York City high schools. So what I'm really interested and excited to talk to you guys today about is sort of how you feel, you know, I think history has become increasingly polarized, and there's definitely a view of certain things in history. This is right, this is wrong, and I think that that causes a lot of tension. I'm interested to see maybe on both the administrative, but also the student end, how you guys are able to facilitate a debate about history and nail those details down and figure it out as you go through the program. Um, Hi everyone, my name is Madeline and I am now finally a junior at Fort Hamilton High School in Brooklyn, New York. I'm also a Y voter and a lead civic fellow here at NGP. And I am such a huge history nerd. I took AP World History last year, I'm taking AP US History this year, and I'm only three days in and I absolutely adore it. I saw Hamilton in 2016 and I just adore like the ideas of the Enlightenment and how that really shaped our country into what it is today. And 
the kind of controversies that come with that. So it's a huge passion of mine and it really coincides with my love for politics and government. And so I'm really excited to put those two passions of mine together today. Hi, I'm Kanisha. I'm a junior from Queens, New York. And in addition to being a podcaster, also a facilitator at YVote. And just like everyone else here, I'm a big fan of history, but I think what I like a bit more than history is having discussions about the political climate that was present in the past and how that's kind of shaped our present, whether it's from the 16th century, whether we're talking about different countries and the different aspects of history and culture, language, or even popular figures at the time. I really like looking at the way so many different components of history shape our modern discussions of the past. So I'm really excited to just hear about how we can keep history relevant and try and connect people's passions today with past events. I'm Bill Sellers. I'm the president and founder of, of National History Academy. And, and what you just said, Kanisha, is, is one of our goals when we started National History Academy. It's not so much, I've been a student of history ever since I was a kid, because you can't understand what's going on in the country today without understanding what's happened in our past. And you know, when we started the program back in 2017, we were conceiving it, there really was not a program like this for high school students in the country. So you know, we started looking at, at what else was available. And you, know, you think of all the programs available for history or for high school students, there's math camp and band camp and STEM camp. And we actually bought historycamp.com as our initial URL. And the fact that that was available in 2017 said a lot to me, just where the humanities and the study of history are in the list of priorities. We've had a crisis in historical and civic literacy in the country. High school students score lowest on the AP U.S. history exam of any of the other tests. And as we've seen over the last two years, you know, we've got a, a growing civic crisis. And civic knowledge, civic skills, and civic disposition. And so often we talk about the civic disposition and the civic skills and not about the civic knowledge. And you know, that's what we're trying to really lay the foundation for in National History Academy. Hello, I'm Katie Smaller. I am a former high school history teacher from Indiana and currently uh, living in Arlington, Virginia, where I work as the Director of Educational Programs for the National History Academy. And when I first left school and re-entered back into high school, this time as a teacher, I was truly blown away in not a great way about what I saw in the public school system, in the curriculum, in these outdated textbooks, what we were using and with what experiences were open to these students and how caged in so many were with their history understanding and their civics knowledge and these opportunities for students. So finding this National History Academy program was exactly what I was looking for for my students and it's been great to work with ever since and it's great to be with some like-minded individuals as well. Hi everyone, I'm Ben. My first introduction to the National History Academy was in 2018, their first year. I was a student and I think I was successful there in part because it's a community that I had subconsciously been looking for all along as we're all passionate. We all probably have been passionate about history since we were kids. And I feel in many ways I was handed a baton by being born in this country. And I think we all might relate to that, that there's something that we identify in the past that we're trying to push forward. And so knowing the past is only a part of that. I'm a basic info wise, I'm a junior. I'm a first gen college student at the University of Arizona. My majors are history and Africana studies. So a lot of my focus is on black history and trying to diversify conversations and break out of the Eurocentric 
white centric view of our past and our current politics. Since 2018, I've been TAing with the National History Academy for the last two years or so. Hi everyone, my name is Dominique Castanera. I'm originally from Dallas, Texas, and I'm currently an undergraduate at Yale University. Um, I'm studying ethics, politics, and economics, so really this passion for government and for civic responsibility. And I was a student at the National History Academy in person in 2019, after my junior year of high school. And I was always really interested in history, and I think that the National History Academy is just an unparalleled way for students to learn about history with a passionate group of peers to not only be better students of history, but also learn from it moving forward. So thank you everyone for being here. We're very excited to talk to you. And first, I just wanted to open up the question. We've heard all of these amazing introductions about National History Academy. So I wanted to ask, well, what is National History Academy for our listeners that are hearing this for the first time, maybe? What are the programs that you run? What does a typical day look like? And what do the students that participate really benefit from? I might tackle that one. And it's it's been different things because as with everything else, the coronavirus you know, changed the way that we operate. But in 2018 and 2019, we started History Academy as a five-week program. We recruit 90 students from all around the country. Ideally, the demographics look exactly as, as the United States looks. So you know, we want geographic diversity, ethnic diversity, racial diversity, political diversity, a mix of male and female students. So we can have these meaningful discussions. And then we, we put the program together. We build each week around one of the cases that was developed by Professor David Moss from Harvard Business School, who's, who's now spun off the Case Method Institute. But each of these cases is a deep dive into defining moments in our history. It's really based on different constitutional crises. You know, we have cases on the creation of the Constitution, uh, Lincoln's decision on whether to let the South secede or not, Martin Luther King and the Voting Rights Act. There's a great case on Reconstruction. There's a great case on women's rights where there's not a clear answer. It's a discussion. There's an ambiguity to the case discussion that some of the former students can, can elaborate on a little bit more. So the cases are one part. Uh, site visits or another. So you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're in the classroom. And then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, we're traveling to different sites, usually trying to line up the sites to places that are related to the theme of the week. We're based in Middleburg, Virginia at the Foxcroft School. We um, lease campus for the summer for those five weeks. So it's, it's really a self-contained campus where the students can, you know, a lot of times it's the first experience away from home for an extended period of time for, for high school students. We have the third leg is a parliamentary debate program developed with a group initially called the Better Angels, now the Braver Angels that are based in New York City. And it's a very formal debate program that allows, and, and we'd find debate topics, again, related to the theme of the week, but on modern issues. The goal is not to win the debate. The goal is to get up and express your opinion, listen to others, respond, and, and go through a process over the course of an hour and to, to really learn and listen to people that that you might disagree with and find areas of common ground and find areas where you disagree, but not in a way that that creates a, any rancor. And then the final part of the program is a speaker series. We're located just an hour outside of DC. We've had Robert Duvallis come to talk to the students about how to portray historical figures in film. He lives about 10 miles from, from campus. Ernest Green, one of the Little Rock Nine, came to campus in both 2018 and 2019. Uh, we've had the commissioner of the IRS and the uh, uh, former chairman of the Federal Election Commission. We have historians come to, to speak with the students. And it's a lot of give and take just like this, where students can interact with, with major figures and national leaders and have lunch with them, talk with them 
them, which is incredibly meaningful. I think, you know, one of the, some of the outcomes that come is that you realize the historical figures are real people making real decisions that, that you know, we shouldn't place them on pedestals. And even some of the current, you know, the current leaders are the same. They're flesh and blood, you know, as fallible as any of us. And I think it shows a lot of the students that, hey, you know, it's, they can do it. I can do it. No, I can add on that just pretty briefly. I think like formal educational parts of the camp, like the debates and the case studies are really great ways to understand the material in new ways. And then the experiential parts, like traveling to sites and being able to meet with speakers and just the peers around you are great ways to really live what you're learning and a great way to engage with history in a new way that you don't really get in the classroom in a normal setting. That's so great to hear. And I did leave out in my instruction. In 2018, I was a teacher uh, with the National History Academy originally. And I just wanted to add on with that. Um, obviously, we all know 2020 and COVID and everything, we did have to switch to online programs for a bit. And while we are very excited to get back to our in-person programs, we haven't run one since 2019. I was pretty surprised, but translate a lot of this into the virtual world very well. As well. So we continued our summer programs instead of in person, continued them virtually, but we were still able to virtually do the site visits, virtually have our guest speakers, and still emulate that classroom setting where the students can work through the case discussions and form those groups and those bonds and have those conversations. So we were able to continue it into the online world as well. And we were fortunate enough to work with Next Gen Politics and have a six week program where we got to use the case method with a group of students in New York. So my question was sort of going off of the idea of civics education. I'm currently interning with a state senator in New Jersey, and I, I helped like write a bill that was the goal of it is to have civics education be mandatory in high schools. And I know that a lot of what was mentioned before, a lot of like the issues that we currently have with our government system, with our political system, is just the lack of knowledge on what exactly that system does, especially when you're going to vote or when you're going to research a policy. Uh, the question is not really what it is, but how does it impact you? And you can't really answer that question without knowing what it is. So I'm curious as to know like how you feel that the National History Academy is trying to teach students about civics education, whether they're able to bring it home and to their communities and how they're able to spread the principles of the academy around and how students and everybody involved really try to get that knowledge, not only from history of the past, but also are able to apply that to the present and the future. Yeah, I would say that what's great about that question is there's more and more research that actually indicates the benefits of any sort of civic education. And I'd say going off the last thing that Dom said, the National History Academy is almost sort of like kinetic learning. It's almost like I, I think of it when you give letter blocks to kindergartners and they're learning the alphabet, but they're having so much fun maybe that they don't realize how much they're learning. When you're actually going to sites, when you're actually having discussions and not just lectures, when you're encouraged, not just allowed, but encouraged to share your opinions about everything that's going on in the classroom setting, your commitment to civics and to being a more active member of a democracy is increased tenfold. My last year in high school, a couple of years ago, I did my whole senior honors project for a whole semester on the documented benefits of civic education at all levels, K through 12. And some of the biggest benefits you see are self-reported interest in voting, in taking part in civic groups and in being an active part, not letting these things run by you. So it's not even just about hopefully getting educated on one issue that might come up in one bill, but it's that when you're exposed to things like this, 
you have an encouragement for all of it. You're excited for all of it. You see your place in the whole picture, right? The whole picture of everything happening now and everything that has happened. When it comes to the National History Academy, it just, it comes in so many ways. If you're not blown away and fully committed to civics by the classroom discussions, it'll happen by the site visits. And if it's not fully hammered in by the site visits, when you shake Ernest Green's hand, a guy that went through hell just trying to go to high school, and he tells you, look for your Little Rock moment, it comes naturally after that. And so you carry it to everywhere you go, every college you go to, every job you have, it happens almost naturally then. You know, civics education, civics is not taught in many schools. And I think civics is used as a term and it's not really understood. I think, you know, yes, we need more civic education. And, you know, and history is not taught well when it is taught. Too many kids, I talk to them and they say, you know, how is history relevant to me? It's this memorization of names and dates. And what our, our learning outcomes are for history classes, I think, needs to change. We don't need to just have people binge and purge all this information that's normal to a history class. We purposely designed National History Academy to make it this discussion-based, to put students into historical situations with difficult, ambiguous outcomes where there's not really a right answer and relate it almost exactly to what things that are going on today. No time in our history have we not had all sorts of disagreement. There's always been you know, decisions made to push us forward and there are people resisting and people trying to pull the country backward and people trying to pull the country forward. And it's, it's just so necessary to, to go back into those situations because each of those dominoes had an effect on the next generation. Now we're, we're affected by the past so much. We're affected by the past every day, just all the last year, the headlines on critical race theory and what it means, the debates on the removal of Confederate statues. What does our history mean? What does it mean to be an American in 2021? And you can't look at that question in isolation. You have to think about generations, whether you're a first generation, whether you're an immigrant, a first generation American, a second generation American, or a seventh generation American. We've got to rethink how we're teaching history and civics. And we, we have a very skinny curriculum to do that. But what our curriculum does is encourage thought and discussion and critical analysis and interaction with others. I can just add that. I think it can be hard to engage with the system if you don't see yourself inside of it. So it can be hard to really feel civic responsibility if there's no diverse perspectives in that history. And I think a high point for the National History Academy is something that, something that they do really well is its diversity and the debate that show a broad range of topics and the site visits and the cohort itself. Just you're able to really engage with history in a diverse way where you can see yourself in it and then be more engaged and excited to actually have a repertoire with that system. That's so great to hear, Dom. And that's something we work with as well, um, that case method that we use. A lot of it is going back to forming the Constitution and going through those earlier days of the country. So when we look at these cases, and we really work to put the students in the driver's seat. It's not just here's what happened. It's kind of what would you guys do? What do you think should happen? How can we work through this? And with a lot of these cases, you know, we, I, as a teacher, I look around the room. It's like, listen, a lot of us here, we would not be allowed in this room back then. We would not have been one of the decision makers, but you can be now. So even though we have this sorted past and this history, I think people often who are marginalized in the past, just like Dom said, maybe don't see themselves as the potential leaders, as the decision makers. And we're working to build that in the students that come through. So even if you might've been excluded in the past, you can be in that room now and in the future. 
Yeah, um, so switching gears a bit, when you guys are actually talking about history, facts from the past, things like that, a lot of, I mean, I'm sure, as you know, of what we learn in school is really binary. It seems like we kind of have to put everything in a box. This was a good thing. This was a bad thing. This led to this. And we don't really think about all the other implications and all the other facets and aspects of events, people and things like that. So my question is, how do you do your best to foster those nuanced discussions of history, rather than simply perpetuate these simplistic views of history and exacerbate the problem that's so present in a lot of our social studies classrooms? Yeah, I feel like A lot of things came to mind with that question, Kanisha. One thing I always tell people about that demonstrates what you're asking is at one point National History Academy, we watched the movie Gettysburg, which is this big, long epic. And we meet uh, the director of the film and we watch it at Gettysburg and it's very immersive. And we're trying to get a lay of the battlefield and the battle, of course. One thing I remember happening amongst my class distinctly was a lot of controversy over the extent to which the movie portrayed Confederates on the same level morally as Union soldiers. The movie didn't choose one side to be bad and one side to be good, but it rather tried to make both out to be accurate human depictions. And that wasn't popular amongst my classmates. And I didn't know how to feel about it, right? Sometimes when we talk about diversity of opinion and things aren't a binary, we still have in mind the side that we want to be portrayed more so, or the side that we sort of still lean towards as being the right side. Those nuanced conversations come from the hard acknowledgement that nothing is ever a binary. And that's, again, something that's demonstrated by history just the more that you read about it, the more that you talk about it, the more that you learn about it. You might think that something is a simple black and white, yes or no, until you know the details of it, and then it never is, right? And there's a great wealth diversity of opinions. So the debate aspect of National History Academy does a great job of that, too, because there's just things that you don't hear in your own echo chamber, especially with social media the way it is now. I'm not going to get any opinions that really differ from mine when I go on my Twitter or talk to my friends, right, for the most part. But National History Academy, by product of it being so diverse, the binaries are going to get broken down at every step of the way. That happens all the time. And I think a lot of times schools don't give students enough credit. Students can hold two conflicting views in their head at the same time. And that point's really hammered home at a lot of the site visits. You know, we go to George Washington's Mount Vernon and Thomas Jefferson's Monticello and James Madison's Montpelier. And those sites have invested huge amounts of uh, resources into telling stories of women in the 18th century and the enslaved in the 18th century. I think of going through Montpelier and you go through the upstairs of the house and you see Madison's library where he you know, worked on the Constitution and he read seven languages and it was a brilliant mind. And, and you come out with a lot of respect for that side of him. And then you go, go outside and they've recreated the slave cabins that used to be there. And in, in the basement, they have a, a tremendous exhibit on this titled The Mere Distinction of Color, Those Who Were Enslaved at, at Montpelier. So you see these people, it's not just condemning the founders as, you know, they're slave owners and they're not worthy of study, but okay, you know, this is the world that they were born into. You know, these are some of the thoughts that they inherited. These are some ways that they moved past the world in which they were inherited. And these are some of the things that they failed. 
So it is getting past that binary approach and you know, getting away from presentism and putting our, our present day judgments on these people from the, from the past who lived in very different times with different societal priorities and a, and a, a different societal makeup. So you know, every, every moment in our history is, is just as complex as what we're going through today. And you know, that's something that I think is good for students to have reinforced all the time instead of just this linear view of history uh, or linear telling of history that so often happens in, you know, especially in high school history classes, you can start to get past that in your college history classes. Yeah, and I also think to not look at things in the binary way, you really need a shift in mindset. And I think the National History Academy does a great job of encouraging you to be open-minded and to look past that binary way of looking at the world. Like you'll have debates which are revolutionary because the point isn't to win, but to discuss. So you can come in with one viewpoint and then listen and truly hear what other people are saying. And then you're encouraged to even change your view to from what you had at the beginning, which I think is a really great way to move past the... Um, the binary way of looking at history in the world. Yeah, that's, um, I've gotten this feedback from a number of students where they say, you know, this is great. This is a safe space to disagree. And, you know, safe spaces, uh, you know, in, in recent years, a lot of times the term is used as a safe space to be protected from viewpoints I don't agree with. And, you know, for students from, you know, all around the country, they say either at my, my home school, I'm in an echo chamber and no one ever challenges my opinion, or I've got a minority opinion and everybody thinks the other way. And if I speak up, I'll get shouted down. So I'm just not going to engage. So create an environment where everyone feels like their voice can be heard is incredibly important and you know, something we need to work on in our schools. And, and that's where some of this debate over critical race theory is really concerning to me. So I definitely think that bringing schools into the conversation is an interesting element. So National History Academy sounds amazing. I would love to do it, but how can you take some of the insights that you guys have generated through your program and implement them into like a high school classroom, right? Because this year I'm doing Europe from the Renaissance to today. That's an insane notion that we're gonna be able to cover all of European history. Last year, right, we did American history. I think that that's crazy. That's the way the school system works though. So do you think you can do it through case studies and would you say that it's worthwhile just to have really good, super strong opinions on or nuanced takes on certain events? Is it worth it to have sort of a more surface level view of some areas and take deep dives? Like what is your opinion on like how we can teach history better in schools? Up until this past year, I was a public school history teacher in Indiana, and it is such a problem that I unfortunately do not have the answer to, but depending on your district, teachers are so limited on what they can do. I know I have a personal friend down in Florida who had in trouble for even talking about certain events with students. So unfortunately, some teachers, you know, maybe they really do want to try to have these conversations, but there are rules and restrictions in place and politics involved where it's not always possible. But we do, like I said, we do have the online program. So students who can't maybe commit to the full summer in person, there are other opportunities throughout the years to be a part of these, but also a lot of teachers we work with and can bring the case method into the classrooms. And what's so wonderful about this way of teaching, it's like I said, it's not just teaching a, this is what happened and this is why, and we move on. It's having the students work together and decide what they would do, figure out how they think it should go. 
and have those discussions and you're not going to agree with each other all the time. And it's learning that such important skill of, I can completely disagree with someone, but we don't have to hate each other. You know, we can have this open dialogue and how many times I've seen teaching these, I taught the, I brought a civics class back to my high school using the case method and just how many times students changed their mind, even in the course of one case and realizing that that's okay. And you're allowed to do that. And when you have this civil discourse with people and with your peers and you feel respected and you feel heard and you learn how to share your opinions, even controversial opinions, but share them in a not antagonizing way, but in a constructive way to have those conversations. It's a great skill that carries on well past when you leave. And Katie, did you do that that course as an elective, that civics course with the cases? I did. And it was the first time my school ever had a civics class. So I brought it back just as an elective and it was one of our most popular courses at the school. Especially in public schools, there are outcomes and a lot of teachers' hands are tied, but there are electives. And that's where you know, Katie went back to her principal and said, I had an amazing experience. I've got an incredible teaching tool. And could I teach a year-long course based on these cases? And, and actually, that's happened with a number of our teachers, some of whom have done what, you know, not, I think only one or two others have done what Katie's done with an entire year-long course based on the cases, but they'll integrate a few of the cases in as the year goes on and the debates as well. And they can, we, we always try to do modern debates, but some teachers have integrated historic debates as well, where you know, might be assigned to take a side. The value of our debates, our, our live debates, are we don't want you to, to say something you don't believe in. Try to find issues where there is division, where it's at least a, about a 60-40 one way or the other. If it's 90-10, you can't have a, a meaningful discussion. But it's a shame when uh, after January 6th, and a teacher tries to speak with her students about the events of the prior day and related to history, that, that students or parents will complain that it's introducing politics in the classroom. We have to talk about politics in the classroom and history is politics. We've built this program around the constitution. It's sources of power, uses of power, abuses of power, challenges to power through time. And looking at these different events through history and getting students to think of all the constitutional issues that we're facing today. Think about what's going on in in Texas right now, Dom's home state, or with what's going on with voting rights around the country. You know, these are all issues that we've been dealing with from the beginning of the country, from the time the constitution was approved by states. The the women's fight for the vote or the Voting Rights Act and getting rid of poll taxes or what's going on today. My perspective on the broader applications of education is that at some point there are lines that you have to draw, especially when it comes to notions of historical responsibility. So one example that I always bring up, even in my college courses when talking about these things, is look at how Germany has revamped its educational system civically since the Second World War. No child on earth learns more about the Jewish Holocaust than German children from the K through 12, their equivalent system. So in the U.S., should we probably emphasize Martin Luther King Jr. more than he would be in Germany? Yes. There are systems of civics and history that we can establish that get American kids in this instance interested in American civics and how our system and our country is the way it is today. That's what's so troublesome about the CRT debates is the people speaking out against it have no idea what it is. And what are the tangible results that are coming of this? The tangible results are you can't talk about Martin Luther King in Texas anymore in Texas schools. They've taken out letters from Birmingham jail in those curriculums. You can't condemn the Ku Klux Klan as morally bad in Texas schools anymore. These things have just happened in recent months as a result of these quote unquote CRT debates, which are really about ignoring any bad thing that has happened in this country and not teaching history or civics, but perpetrating mythology. 
So I, I was interested in, especially what we were just talking about, like having civics education and what that means for politics in school. So I actually, in my school, civics is not a required course. It was an elective and I took it in my sophomore year. And in my sophomore year, that was the time when we had Donald Trump's first impeachment. And so obviously we had to talk about it. So that was one of those times where, you know, you have to balance politics with actually being able to cover the material and being able to contextualize it within your own present with the history. So my classmates, we came from a range of perspectives, a range of ideologies and a range of like knowledge of exactly what civics was. Like, obviously I'm someone that obsessed with politics and like the government and I know a lot about it. And there were people that didn't really know that much. And so it made for a really interesting dynamic because we were all coming from different perspectives and we're still invested in exactly what the impeachment was about. So one of the most memorable discussions that I have from that class was whether the public had the right to listen to the phone call between Donald Trump and the Ukrainian president. There were points made about it's private, no one has the right to hear it versus it's public information, the American people have a right to listen to it. And I think what's so important about having that kind of course and having that kind of base to talk about those issues is so that you can talk about things that are going on right now. I know that a lot of people are kind of skittish about including like current politics or current issues within the course curriculum, just because it is very controversial sometimes because you don't want to get political. You don't want to teach your students a certain ideology. You want to leave it up to them. But I found that like the strongest times where you can learn history is when history is being made right in front of your eyes. So that impeachment was something that we learned about. And it was so exciting to see it when it happened because we would be watching like the proceedings live in class and then get to talk about them right after. So obviously you don't want an impeachment every time you're taking a civics course, but talking about what's going on right now. So like the text abortion ban, like talking about these kinds of things when you're in the class that allows you to do so is so, so important in order to actually apply the skills that you're learning. And I feel like that's something that you guys are doing, which is absolutely amazing. And I really hope that high schools and middle schools are able to adopt that same kind of principle. Well, thanks. That's exactly what we're trying to do. You know, you, and you've lived through so much history over the last year. You know, January 6th, the election last November. Seems like every day we've got something that has the country on on edge and you know a diminished uh, confidence in our electoral systems. It's it's a huge issue. So how do we create these kinds of discussions in our schools? It's it's so important. And you know, next gen politics I know is fully committed to those kinds of principles. It's very interesting when we bring students from all over the country together, and you know, students who lean right and students who lean left, and students who are first generation Americans and students who have been around much longer, and you know the the demographic. A mix of, of the students can to such powerful discussions. And that's been one of the things we've learned over the last year is uh, you know, with online learning that we were able to put together classes where it'd be a student from New York and a student from Texas and a student from Florida and a student from Turkey and a student from China. And you would talk about American history. And it came even more powerful in the in the online setting for that two hour period. We lost the 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the personal relationships that are so important in, in the residential program that we have. But there are interesting tools that schools can use going forward for how we teach history and civics and how we bring groups of students together. Because even if you're a Republican or a Democrat in New York, you have got a very much different perspective than a Republican and Democrat in Texas or California. And it's it's a it's a powerful thing to have meaningful discussions 
with your peers from around the country. So, you know, that's one of the things that I hope stays with us out of this pandemic, that find more of those tools. And, you know, we're trying to find ways to do that with our own programs. today for Next Gen Politics. I'm editor Vanessa Chen signing off. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org podcast for links related to what we've discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends who'd like to become more civic-minded.